Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, no matter where you're listening, around the world, this is Sedona Talk Radio. Hello, hello everyone out in the big world. This is Helena, Helena Steiner-Hornstein. I'm with you again, and we have a special guest, uh, as always. By the way, the ones who are waiting for my newsletter, it should be out today. Hopefully, if not, I will have to complain to my nice associate. <laughs> anyway, we have a wonderful guest with us today. His name is Rick Morgan. And Rick Morgan, he spells his name I-R-I-C, not K, the way I have announced it in the program. And Rick says he was actually baptized to that particular name. So, Rick, are you with me? I'm here, and, and thank you for inviting me. I'm going to look forward to this. Thank you so much. And Rick has, um, I find myself already in some kind of awe about uh, Rick because, uh, you know, I read a lot of books written by men, and they're about positive living and how to be successful and how to make money and how to be healthy and all these good things. Somehow I feel it comes from that intellect and now I read your book and I didn't get through it I just began to read it in the beginning the first few pages because you sent me an e-book <laughs> and um, I felt immediately he writes from the heart this is directly from the heart and when you speak from the heart you are actually speaking to somebody's heart as well. So it goes from heart to heart. And that is the reason why your book has become so successful, I think. The book is called The Keys, the textbook to a successful life by Rick Morgan. This uh, particular program is recorded because I will be busy myself on Tuesday. So uh, you cannot call in, but you can, of course, listen through the archives anytime. So it will be coming up on Tuesday as we have planned uh, as a recording. And now one of the things that you say here is the three dumbest mistakes people make. We are going to have that said. We are also going to say what are the three best things we can do for ourselves. But we have to hang on to all this. How come you wrote a book called The Keys, uh, Rick? Well, I've been a professional speaker for thir- over 36 years, and I do a program called KISS, K period, I period, S period, S period, and it's called Keep It Simple and Smart. Now, most people when they were growing up heard the phrase, keep it simple, stupid, but I didn't think it was a good idea. I didn't think it was a good idea to call my audiences stupid. So I tried to come up with something many years ago when I got into motivational topics that would be something that audiences could relate to, and it's the second most popular uh, presentation that I've done. And and before we go any further, you were talking about heart-to-heart. If I could just do a sidebar here real quick. Yeah, I love you. Before I speak, I do a little prayer. And I say, Father, give me the words that this group of people needs to hear. Make me the messenger and not the message. And that way I get my ego, my bad ego, out of the way. And I let the good ego come out. I let God play through me like an instrument. 
And that way I'm giving that particular audience what they need to hear. Every audience is different. Every audience has different needs. And so many speakers are, you know, they've got this program down and that's just it. You're going to get that. But for me, while I have core messages that I do, I do have this one little out where I let God talk through. And uh, I've had people say, well, I just heard you do that three times today in a church service. How do you do that? And I'll say, well, I don't know because I just get out of the way. So that heart-to-heart -heart is, is very touching to me because that's what I try to do is go to the heart of people. And one of the things that this little program does, KISS, does exactly that. We, for some reason, uh, have become a, a group of people or a society of people that like things that are complicated. But I believe in simplicity. I believe in keeping it simple. And at the same time, I, I believe in keeping it smart. You can work and live smart and not work and live hard. Yeah. And you know, it's so true about keeping it simple. When you tell the truth, you actually are making it very simple. And also when you're speaking in the simple way and use simple words and so on, you are speaking the truth. Well, this book is written, I call it scientifically. Uh, it was written at an eighth grade level. I mean, I did that on purpose so that it would appeal to the broadest audience of people. It's a very small book. It's only 80 pages long, but it's very power-packed in those 80 pages. There's no fluff. It's all just the facts. It's all just what we need to be looking at. So the book is scientifically written from that point of view. The margins are a little extra wide so that people can make notes. It rolls up very easily. You can put it in your back pocket. I walked through a store one day, and there's a man walked by me with a copy of the book rolled up in his back pocket. Oh, really? Very lightweight, <laughs> yeah. very small. Mm -hmm. That must so, have made yeah. you feel very good, though, when he uh, kind of had shown that he had the book that way with him. Sure, <laughs> and, it, and it, you know, it's designed so that somebody who maybe doesn't have the level of education of everybody else um, we'll be able to read this and understand the words. I mean, you can't write a book on simplicity that's 700 pages long. That just doesn't make sense to me. No. And it's strange to how people look for the big, thick books when they never really read it properly. You well, know, I hear this all it, along. Yeah. yeah, They go through it, but they don't really read all of that. They look for the good chapters and the good pieces, and they skim through the rest not realizing that the author has been sitting there and sweating through each page, <laughs> making it look <laughs> <Exactly> good. <right. laughs> yeah. yeah. But I didn't believe that it would serve the reader, because I've read books like this as a motivational speaker and so forth. I've read books like this where this was Bob's problem, and here's what Bob did, and then here's Betty's problem, and here's what Betty did. And I wanted to eliminate that. I wanted to make it something that people could read very easily. Uh, I'm Shortly after the book came out, a lady sent me an email that said, your book is one flight long. Ah, good. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> so, of course, it's not a flight uh, like to Hong Kong. And you were in Hong Kong no. very recently with your message. How did people, were these uh, locals or were these like Americans or Europeans you were speaking to? Uh, it was a it was a corporation, and I was doing workshops on uh, business topics. 
so you had all kinds. Uh, they were local. They were from Hong Kong, or they were, uh, you know, were they Chinese? They were Europeans. So there were Chinese. There were people from Taiwan and uh, Switzerland, Germany. I see. That's very Hong interesting. Kong. Yeah. And have you well, noticed much in Hong Kong of the Chinese uh, takeover? You've probably not been there before the Chinese takeover, but do you feel there is a difference to be a European or an American in Hong Kong? Well, you know, I have been told by other people who have been to Kong, Hong Kong, Kong, Kong I'm all right, Hong Kong, uh, before say they didn't really notice the difference. Uh, they think it's very much the same. Hong yeah. Kong is Hong Kong, you know. Yes, that's very true. And, uh, of course, in Hong Kong, they live according to the old traditional uh, energy principles a lot. Did you see that also, how people would jump out of their cars and do some some uh, tai chi <laughs> or, or um, how they had buildings according to feng shui? Um, did you see anything of that? Well, I noticed that it's a very high-energy city. Um, people move very quickly. And they are very quick in their speech. They're very quick in their actions until it comes time to do business. Like if you're in a store, uh, they seem to take a great deal of care. And they spend a lot of time looking over items that they're interested in. But then once they leave the store, they walk very quickly. Now, I happen to be in an area where there was a lot of traffic. And I noticed people getting out of cars going into a store, making a quick purchase of perhaps something to eat or something they needed, and being able to walk back out of the store, and the car was just a few feet ahead of where it had been before. So I thought that was a very interesting way of doing things. Yeah, yeah. well, they're tuned in to... to I noticed that uh, although there are so many millions of people in Hong Kong, it doesn't seem that terribly, terribly crowded. Uh, it, it somehow works. So um, what is your definition of success? Well, that's a question I've never been asked before, and that's really a whole presentation. Yeah. You know, success, I think, is doing what you want to do uh, and being able to, to say, uh, I'm doing this, I'm making this happen, I'm the one who has gone through the process of uh, what we call in the book the keys, the thought, the choices, and have taken this into action and doing what you want to do your way without having to um, explain yourself to other people. I got to a point in my life where I just said, I'm not going to explain myself to other people. I don't carry a wallet. I don't wear a watch. Uh, those were some things of, of the level of success that I reached in life. Uh, that I just wanted to go through life as light as I could. And, uh, you know, I carry a little folder in my pocket that has my, my driver's license and some money, and and if I want to know the time, either someone will tell me or there's a clock on the wall somewhere, so I don't have to pay <laughs> so much attention to it. Yeah. But I think success is doing what you want to do, uh, yeah, and that can true. be anything. Mm -hmm. That's that's true, It's uh, it, and it's according to the way you feel that you have placed yourself, not where you feel that others look at you, really. Well, I'm a big proponent of becoming an individual. I think we have become sheep in this country. And what we need to learn to do is to think independently. And that's one of the things that is the major, one of the three keys, the major keys that's in this book is thought. And we don't like to think. 
uh, it's just it's a foreign thing to us anymore. And what we have to do is to start thinking again, to start you know living our lives as individuals and not as sheep. Uh, we go along with what other people tell us to do. We go along with what everybody else is doing. We buy clothes that have somebody else's name on them, a designer or a company, uh, just because we want to belong. And that doesn't make any sense to my mind. It's like, you know, if that if that company wants me to wear a T-shirt that has their name on it, they should give it to me or pay me for it because I'm walking around with their advertising. Yeah, We're, that's, you know, in that's our society, a good point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where in our society we pay forty dollars for a, a T-shirt that has somebody's name on it. It doesn't make sense to me. Why do you want to be like somebody else? Yeah, I don't know. It's true. And this starts early on. I remember when I was a teenager, and I was kind of uh, someone who had had fun, you know, and I was good at school and all this, so I, I was okay. But I noticed that everyone was wearing, you know, there was one time everyone, all girls, had to wear black pants. And, and purple jackets. That was just a thing for do, to do one spring. And I didn't. I started to wear my own thing. And do you know how there were an awful lot of the other girls who actually started to look at me and started to wear what I was wearing instead? And once I just went back to some kind of old look with plaid skirt and braids for fun as a teenager. And I thought, oh, there must be something to this. And they started to do that as well. So we can start our own train trends without, you know, feeling too bad about it if we just take pull ourselves together somehow. Isn't that some kind of self-confidence? Well, I think so. That's what I talk about, good ego. Uh, you know, ego like a lot of other things, has gotten a bad rap. Uh, There is something called paradox. Now, you talk about Hong Kong. uh, Eastern cultures understand paradox. And let me describe what a paradox is very briefly. A paradox is when both sides of the same thing are true at the same time. Give you an example. You're outside, the sun is shining, but it's raining. That's a paradox. Mm -hmm. The universe is expanding, but it's contracting at the same time. That's a paradox. And there are so many things that we have placed a bad label on that are really a paradox. There is bad ego, yes. Bad ego is that uh, person who uh, wants us to believe they're absolutely wonderful, uh, they do no wrong, they uh, talk the talk. They're just full of hot air. They talk it, but they don't walk it. But I believe there's a good side to ego, and the good side to ego is what I call confidence, basically. It's a kind of person who gets things done, doesn't worry about who gets the credit for it, uh, does it right the first time, doesn't have to keep doing it over, the kind of person that other people look at. But for some reason, and I don't understand this either, they don't want to make them a hero. They don't want to emulate them because they're working hard. And, uh, you know, Thomas Edison once said that um, uh, success is... um, uh, dressed up uh, in overalls. And, you know, the thing is that most people don't want it because it looks like hard work. And it is. And so, you know, we have that good side of ego, we have that bad side of ego. So you have the one side, the bad side, where somebody is just telling me how wonderful they are. Then you have the good side where somebody shows me. And that's the kind of person who walks the walk and doesn't yeah. talk it. 
You're so right, and I always say the ones with the bad, so-called bad ego, they don't love themselves. Uh, you know, you have to love your, you love yourself first. You love your neighbor like you love yourself. You know, it starts with you, but it has to be that true love, that love for, for the God energy within you. That's what I say to people. You have to love well, yourself first. You know, and that's another thing that I, I like to talk about is the fact that most of us will meet somebody on the street and we get to know them and maybe they do something and we're very quick to forgive them, but we don't forgive ourselves. And one of the reasons is we don't like ourselves very much. I had to go through a very difficult process, a long process, where I could look in that mirror and say, I like that guy in the mirror. That's good. then, (laughs) Then came the hard part, which was, I love that guy in the mirror. Yeah. And most people don't want to go through that because, again, that's, it takes work. And today, um, and this sounds egotistical in a bad sort of way, but it really isn't. It's egotistical in a good sort of way. I really love myself uh, because unless I'm in good order, physically, mentally, spiritually, psychologically, I'm no good to anybody else. So we have to learn to love ourselves as easily as we love other people. Otherwise, yeah. we're worthless. But most people don't want to do that. Most people are, there's something, and I don't know what it is, some kind of fear we have of getting to know the real us. You know, I think also the so-called older generation, you don't see it now that much, but people are a little bit older, well, anyone over 35, I would say nowadays, they have, in a way, been brought up differently from the ones who are living, you know, how young now. Because, uh, you know, I was told when I was uh, living in Sweden, oh, it's selfish to like yourself or to love yourself. And my parents didn't say so. The teachers said so. You know, it was not a good thing to, to love yourself at all. So uh, I think that is something that has something to do with the, with the culture, how you feel about yourself. But I still believe you have to love yourself first before you even can love anyone else. Well, I think Don't that's true. I, I look back where I was um, before, and the, the kind of love that I expressed to other people would be very different than I would be capable of expressing today. Um, you were talking earlier about heart-to-heart. I think that I did it, you know, with just the words because I didn't really understand what love was. And then when I learned to love myself, to become of value to not only myself but to other people, I think today I would be able to say those words heart-to-heart and to express it through my actions and, and the deeds that I do and not just the and not just the words. One of the big problems I see is schools have started teaching self-esteem. And what it has done is raised a generation of people, kids, young people. It's all about me, 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 me. And where they went wrong was they got the wrong self. Instead of self-esteem, they should have been teaching self-respect. Yeah, now, self-esteem is, is, a, is a part of self-respect. And self-respect, people who respect themselves and their lives, don't do things that are harmful. They don't become alcoholics. They don't become drug addicts. Uh, They do have a good, solid uh, self-esteem. 
but they respect themselves and they don't want to do something to harm themselves because they know that they've got a value that other people are looking for. And value is a very hard thing to find in people anymore, a value that actually makes a contribution. And I'm getting really tired of the me, 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 and I, I, I. Uh, that's one of the three, uh, you were talking earlier about we're going to talk about the three dumbest things. That is one of the three dumbest things, is that there's another one of those paradoxes. And that is that we don't like ourselves, but we, we need to. Uh, in other words, what I say is it is not all about you, but at the same time it is all about you. And there's two kinds of all about you. Uh, there's all about you from that bad ego point of view, and then there's all about you from that positive uh, point of view uh, that says, I have value, I am of worth, I can do things that will make a difference uh, in the lives of other people, but first I have to take care of me. Yeah. You know, what you say about self-respect uh, that is incredibly, incredibly important. Uh, and that's the word that I've actually been looking for. And uh, I am also working with animals. You know, I'm so-called healer. <laughs> but I work a lot with animals. And I see they have a very strong sense of respect between them. You know, the order of rank and who they should respect and so on. So they have to respect each other to get along. And, uh, of course, that's the way I'm seeing it. But uh, you also, particularly when you come to stronger animals like Doberman, Pinchers, and so on, you have to show them a certain respect because they will only be good to you, listen to you, if they can respect you. So I well, sense that very strong feeling from the animals, the powerful animals. The thing about animals is kind of interesting is that, as we were talking before, we buy the T-shirts, we... We want to be like other people. Why anybody would want to be like Paris Hilton, for example, I have no idea. But anyway, uh, <laughs> we want to be like somebody else because we don't like ourselves enough. But, you know, I had a cat one time that was terribly smart. This cat, I mean, you could almost see him sitting there doing higher math in his yeah. head. I mean, he was just that kind of smart animal. And I learned a lot from him. And one of the things that I learned from him, learning from a cat, believe it or not, was I believe it, yes. that he was just a cat. He was happy being a cat. That's all he knew how to do was be a cat. And even as smart as he was, all he would ever be was a cat. And what I learned out of that was, you know, I'm good enough. Uh, gosh darn it, I'm good enough. Uh, I'm just uh, the Rick. I'm going to be the best Rick I can possibly be. Uh, I'm not going to try to be like somebody else. Uh, I'm a human being. I'm going to make my mistakes. I'm going to do things that are wrong sometimes, and there are going to be times I have to apologize, but my father, bless him, used to say, go ahead and do it and apologize later. But the fact is, is that I'm a human. I have my foibles, but gosh darn, I'm not going to try to be another kind of Rick I'm going to be the best Rick that I can be. And that was a lesson that I learned from a cat. Just be the best that you can be. Don't worry about being like somebody else. You know, this is such a wonderful story, but it's such a good lesson for us, you know, to look around and even look at your animals and see how they think and behave and so on. So uh, now what are the three dumbest things that we are doing? 
to ourselves. Well, we mentioned one just a minute ago, which is we don't learn to like ourselves and we don't learn to love ourselves. Uh, we don't have self-respect. I'd like to get past this thing on self-esteem. I'd like to see us in this time that we have, as I'm calling it, the great economic timeout, um, to take a look at ourselves as individuals, to learn to like ourselves and replace this thing of self-esteem with self-respect because we need a national self-respect. Uh, the rest of the world does not, it does not like the Americas anymore, doesn't like Americans anymore. Uh, we have become a hated people. Well, this was, I think, being a European also myself, and I'm interrupting you here, it has changed dramatically in the last couple of months. They're seeing more (laughs) self-respect over here? Uh, No, America has had a very, very tough time in the world, and it's true. America was very disrespected, of course, not only for the violent movies, but, you know, for the war that goes on in Iraq and, and so on. And now things have happened in Europe that suddenly everyone is looking back to America for hope again. Well, I was accused while I was in Hong Kong by the people from the other countries. I mean, they were literally putting their fingers in my face saying it's your fault because the banking situation is now international and they can't get loans. They can't buy houses. They can't buy the cars that they want because the banking system is in such disarray, not only in America, it's in disarray around the world. So there is still a lot of dislike for America. But this would be a time that we could put aside the self-esteem and get down to self-respect. Another one of the three dumb things we do is that is uh, we don't stop to think. Uh, Thinking has become, gosh, I don't know, it, it has become a thing of the past, unfortunately. We don't think things through. We are reactionaries. Uh, We like to react to any situation that comes up, and sometimes we don't give it time. Uh, Things uh, need time. Uh, Like like bread needs time to rise before you need it, and it needs uh, time to rise a second time. And we don't give time that, uh, that respect. We don't take the time to step back and look objectively at what we're doing and where we're going. Uh, and that's both as individuals and as a nation. Uh, as I said earlier, uh, the, the first chapter of the book, The Keys, is about thinking, is about thought, and it teaches you how we think. It talks about cultural norms. It talks about those things where people say, well, you can't do that. Who do you think you are? Um, and it, it basically is a chapter about becoming an independent thinker. And What we have to do in this country as both individuals and as a nation is to learn how to think our way through rather than just to react to what comes up. I feel sorry for uh, the new president because he's a lot has been expected of him and he's only been in office a month. And too much is expected. Yeah, and what he's done in a month is a lot, but it's too fast. Uh, We're not thinking it through. So, you know, uh, the second one is that we don't think. And then the third dumb thing that we do is that we don't know what the truth is. There are two kinds of truth. There's truth with a capital T and there's truth with a small t. Truth with a capital T is what 
would be defined as reality. It just is. Truth with a small t is perceived truth. And I can give you an example of that. If you were to say, there is a girl, that is capital, I call it capital truth. There is a girl, that is capital truth. It's just a girl. But if you say that's a pretty little girl, you've added two qualifiers to that, pretty and little. And we do that because we feel like it makes it easier to understand, makes it easier for us to swallow the truth. When in fact, that is what misguides us, because we begin to see the truth as a distortion. What we need to do is look at the truth. Now, there's a movie called A Few Good Men where Tom Cruise is interrogating Jack Nicholson's character in a courtroom. And Tom Cruise's character says, tell me the truth. And Nicholson's character says, you can't handle the truth. The problem is that we can handle the truth. We just don't want to. Because the truth is reality. It is what is. And it's very uncomfortable when you first decide that you're going to learn what the truth about life is all about. It's very uncomfortable. Uh, we love to add things in this country, especially the word tragedy. I don't watch the local news where I live because everything is a tragedy. Another tragedy across town with a house fire. Another tragedy on the other side of town. It was a car wreck. Well, for the people who had the car wreck or the people who experienced that house fire, yes, that's true. It is a tragedy. But I don't know who these people are, and it's not a tragedy to me. But so we have to hear it. We are fed with these tragedies. People don't want to have good news too much. If we open the papers and we open up the TV screen every day, we see nothing but bad news. This is what is regarded to be news, not the good stuff. Have you thought well, about I that? I, I, don't, I don't think it's bad to say that there was a fire and there was a major accident. Yeah. It's just that these little qualifiers, it was a tragedy. It's not a tragedy to me. I wasn't, I wasn't in that. It was just an event. The harsh truth is, let's take another step. The harsh truth is that 9-11 was just an event. We have, as a nation, placed value on that by adding qualifiers. Now, that was a tragedy. A lot of people died. It hurt the American psyche. It is an event that a lot of people will never forget, like the assassination of Kennedy and the assassination of Martin Luther King. You remember those things that happen through a lifetime as a nation, and they do affect the nation, and they are tragedies. But at the same time, you also have people who want to live in that. And my belief system is, that you've got to get out of that. We don't even know how we think. Uh, we think that the thought is the genesis, and the thought is not the genesis. What we believe about something is the genesis of thought. It goes from belief to attitude to feelings and then the thought. So our thoughts are based upon what we believe, not upon the thought itself. So we make, we make our, our biggest mistake, uh, one of the dumbest things we do is we don't think. We don't know the truth. We don't know the truth about what's going on in the banks of America. We don't know what's the truth about what's going on in Wall Street. Nobody's telling us the truth. But we need to hear it, and things will change when we do. Yeah. So um, what, again, are the three things that are the dumbest things that we are doing right now in a nutshell? Okay, in a nutshell, is the first is that we, we 
it's all about me. Well, it is all about you, but it isn't. The second one is that uh, we don't stop to think. And then the third one is we don't really know what the truth is. And we are not really trying to find out uh, what the truth is. Uh, oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> most, people, most people live on cruise control. They just want to get through life. And I don't understand why people want to do that. There's so much to life. There's so much richness. I, I've started 18 corporations in my life. I've written two books. I've started three nonprofit organizations. I've been a very busy person all of my life because I turned off the television and I went and did these things. Yeah. It and makes such a difference, I have noticed, just from from the moment you get up and out of bed, not to have to turn on the TV. Because then already you're pulled into an energy and your thoughts and your inspiration goes away. And I have myself often just had the TV on the first thing to hear the news or whatever. I noticed, no, it, it stops me in my thought process. And that's what right. happens to all of us. I think it stops us in our thought process. Well, um, we just vegetate. We just sit there in front yeah. of the screen and let somebody else tell us what their truth is rather than finding out what the truth is. Very, very true. And we are then programmed to walk under a certain uh, light, so to speak, under a certain uh, program. (laughs) Uh, You have someone called Travis Butler who was an inspiration uh, for this book. Can you tell me a little bit? I got curious. Who who was this Travis Butler and what did he do to inspire you so much? He was a a friend that is, uh, actually he's a cousin uh, of mine who was much younger than me. And I met him at a time in his life when he was going down the wrong road. Uh, He had stolen some money from a company that he worked for, and he was headed to jail. And uh, through a a lot of uh, fast footwork, as I say, we were able to get him a good lawyer that got him in diversion and so forth. And one day, uh, his birthday came along, and instead of handing him the usual gift, I took page after page after page of things that I had read through the years, Think and Grow Rich, um, things about success, things about motivation. And I put them together in a great big five-inch binder. And I gave him that as a birthday present. Well, he pulled it out of the box, and he's kind of looking at it, and he's like, what What kind of present is this? He's not saying anything. But you could tell he was thinking, you know, what kind of present is this? I said, all I'm asking you to do is read it. Well, we were in a restaurant, and he started reading that, and we wound up sitting there for three hours. And I want to tell you that he went in that restaurant as one person, and after spending some time reading, kind of thumbing through, stopping to read something, by the time we left that restaurant, he was a different person. He was transformed in that three hours. And he has never gone back to the kind of person he was. Well, he would call me up from time to time, and he would say, I don't quite understand this, or I don't understand that. And sometimes I would have knowledge of what he was asking, and sometimes I didn't. And I'd say, well, I don't really know all of that, so let me go and see what I can find out, and I'll share it with you. Because to me, in helping him learn, I was learning at the same time. So in this this 
transformation that he went through, and today he's a very successful man, married, has four children. Uh, he's uh, a highly placed executive in a company. Uh, he went from nearly spending his life in jail, because that would have been what it would have been for him, to being this highly successful person by living these principles that I had learned and was able to teach him. And so as I was sitting down to write this book, I realized what an important part that whole process of helping him learn had helped me. And that's the story behind that. Yeah, that's a good story also. And life is so full of all these wonderful, wonderful stories. Once we begin to look for them or just be open to them that they're happening in our lives. How um, does karma fit into your philosophy, Rick? Well, I'm a big believer in what goes around comes around. Um, and, it, and it's the law of tenfold return is what it's called. They call it karma, and that's what we in America call one of the universal laws, the law of tenfold return. What you put out there, you get back. And the funny thing is, there's, a, there's another paradox involved here. Let's say you're feeling a lack of money in your life, and you want more. Um, give money away. Yeah. Now, I know there's somebody going to listen to this and say, well, how is that possible? If I give somebody else some money, how am I going to get money? You give it freely without any expectation of return. And then all of a sudden, somewhere, some money comes to you. And it's usually multiplied by a factor of at least 10, if not more. If you want more love, you give love away. If you want more time, you give people some of your time. Somehow time seems to become a greater value to you because you suddenly have more time than you thought you did. Yeah. Whatever it is that you want more of, give it away freely without an expectation of return. And especially don't expect it to come from the person you gave it to. It will come from another direction. Uh, it's you, so true you like, what you say. It's wonderful. And I live the corner. And you always hear the, when people say you want something done, you ask a busy person because they spend the time, you know, they give it, and they're somehow making more time in doing so. You know, right. so when when you want something done, give it to a busy person because they already can handle it. What you give away expands. Yeah. That's a good way of looking at it. Whatever yeah, it is you want, give it away and it will expand. And it does. I mean, there's just no doubt about that. I noticed that when we were students and I had my girlfriends. And, of course, as a student, you go to college, you don't have enough money. And uh, we were always short of money, but we noticed if we needed something and really, really needed it that was above our budget, we bought it anyway. And somehow we never noticed that we had spent that money, you know, if you did it carefully. Right. But it was just like the universe somehow gave you that money back because this was something you really needed from your heart. <laughs> and then somehow that money was just back in your well, you, pocket you came you just gave the the front line for your title of this program which is the three simple words that will change your life in, instantly and this is a good place to talk about okay, that okay please yes there are three words right now and currently 
Now, I live in a tourist town of 3,500 people that gets 11 to 14 million tourists a year. It's called Gatlinburg. Many of the listeners have probably either been here or heard of it. And I hear this phrase a lot. I don't have enough money to buy. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough of this. I don't have enough. I don't have enough. I don't have enough. And it becomes a mantra after a while. I don't have enough. And as long as you keep saying that, you never will have enough. However, if you add either the phrase right now or currently, it changes the dynamic of that considerably. And it will change your life considerably. Let's take an example. I don't currently have enough money means I don't have enough money with me right now. It doesn't mean that tomorrow, next week, next month, some other time you'll have all of the money you need or want to buy all of the things you need or want. I don't have enough time. Currently, I don't have enough time. That doesn't mean that that door of opportunity won't open, that at some time in the future you will have enough time. I currently don't have enough education. doesn't mean that that opportunity may not come for you to get more education. Simply by adding those three words, currently or right now to that kind of sentence, opens up these doors of opportunity. I call them golden doors of opportunity because at some time in the future, what you're doing is you're taking something that's very big and very broad and you're making it very, very narrow. Currently, right now, right this minute, I don't have this, but it doesn't mean that in the future I won't. That's good, yeah. And uh, which, of course, puts that thought in, oh, it's just right now. I don't have the money in my pocket right now, but I will tomorrow. So is this now what you say to people? You know, some people out there have not so much money, and I've heard this a lot, and and people have lost their jobs and they've lost, lost their houses. What is your best advice uh, right now for these people who need a little bit of extra in their lives? Think. Be very careful on how you think. Be careful about your words. Be careful about the choices you make. You know, we have a million wonderful thoughts a day, and we rarely act on those because we are full of self-doubt. Well, I can't do that. Uh, and then we make a choice. Maybe we make a right choice. We limit our choices from the 50 down to the three or four good ones, and we make a right choice. But then we fail to go into action. Those are the three main keys of the book, thought, choice, and action. And where it all falls down is in action because we begin to believe that what others say about us, you can't do that, who do you think you are, is true. Or we begin to think about ourselves, well, I can't do that, I've never done it before. Well, simply because you've never done it before doesn't mean you can't learn to do it now. When I did this book, I did it all. I, I not only wrote the book, I laid it out, I created the cover, I published it, and now I have a publishing business. So, you know, one thing led to another. I didn't always know what I was doing. I stopped and asked advice. I would talk to mentors. I would find resources on the Internet and other places that would teach me the things that I needed to know. So I went from zero to 60 miles an hour in about a year. Now, that doesn't sound terribly fast, but when you consider I knew nothing about book publishing, 
that's considerable. So within a year's period, I went from a blank computer screen to a book publishing business. That's pretty good. And that's what I've done most of my life. Like I said, I have created 18 businesses, and you start at zero, and you take today, I'm going to take this step. Tomorrow, I'm going to take this step. Well, the same is true about the economic times we are in. Today, I'm going to do this. Tomorrow, I'm going to do this, and on and on and on until you finally look back and you say, oh, my gosh, look how far I have come in X period of time. Once you get into action, momentum will carry you along. The problem is you have to be careful that you don't lose your momentum. You also have to be able to evaluate what you're doing so that when you're done you can, or you reach a point where you can't go any farther, you can turn back and say, oh, I see where I made a mistake. Now, here's the one thing that's going to surprise most people in a book about successful life. I point blank tell the reader, you're going to fail. There's just no question in my mind. Somewhere along the line, in everything that you do, you're going to fail. But as far as I'm concerned, failure is good because it's the greatest educator there is. If I fail at this, then it causes me to stop, take a look at what I'm doing, and then I can make the necessary changes or course corrections, and I can go straight ahead and keep going, get back on the momentum, and get back to where I need to be, and just keep going. You can't go back. The past is over. It is done. The future is uncertain. So all you have is now. The only time you have is now. We could hang up from this conversation, and I could die. I mean, that's, that, that's life. So I will have spent the last hour of my life doing something that I, I like, which is talking to a nice friend and sharing what I know with other people. And that's the way I see it. I'm going to do this now, and when the next now gets here, I'm going to do this. And when the next now gets here, I'm going to do this. And when the next now gets here, because you see, all we have is now. So do what you can now. Don't worry about the future. It may never come. Don't worry about the past. It's over. You can't change it. Worry about now and take that step this minute. What are you going to do? What are you going to do the next minute? What are you going to do the next minute? And you keep going forward because you can't go back. Yeah, you know, I hear this so much from people who say, well, when I retire, I'm going to go on a cruise. And when I get, you know, when I get my vacation, I'm going to do this. And when I be turn 50, I'm going to do that. It's, it's like they're looking forward to it, but they won't do it now. And I always say, enjoy your life now, because you don't know for how long you're going to live and enjoy this life. And you don't know for how long you will enjoy your family and, and uh, you know, enjoy your body. Walk now, because you don't know if you can walk later, things like this. So, uh, 20 years uh, ago, uh, I would not have... You know, if someone said, Rick, you'll be in a wheelchair 20 years from now, I would have said, yeah, right. And yeah. now I have to use a wheelchair quite often. So, yeah. uh, yes, and, and it hasn't changed my mental capacities. It hasn't changed my abilities to do anything. I just don't walk real good, that's all. Yeah, and I, I know where you're coming from, you know. To t and, and I have sometimes trouble with my physical body because of car accidents and there are days I can hardly walk. I am normally walking four miles a day and just tell myself, 
wow, I love walking now. And every day I have that attitude, I'm going to walk today, but there are days when I can't because, you know, my body cannot do that for me. But, you know, once you have the attitude, yes, I can, and you forget your problems because you become what you focus on. Isn't that so? That people who become professional uh, complainers in their life. Well, Emerson, the, the book is based upon, the chapter on thought is based upon Emerson's line, you are what you think about all day long. Let me repeat that. You are what you think about all day long. If you don't like where your life is today, what were you thinking yesterday? If you want your life to change tomorrow, what are you going to think about today that will make a difference? Complaining gets us nowhere. I mean, if you've got a valid complaint because you've got a bad product, that's one thing. But just sitting around complaining about the weather, about the fact that you didn't get the promotion, about the fact that you didn't get a break in life, well, so what? I didn't get the promotion. I didn't always get the breaks I wanted in life. I don't sit around and complain about it. I do something about it. I'll tell you why I went into business for myself. I went into business for myself because I got tired of complaining about complaining. Okay. <laughs> Can you explain that? <laughs> sure. I got tired of complaining about all the breaks I wasn't getting. And I realized that sitting around doing nothing wasn't getting me anywhere. When I was 16, I started my first business, and my father made me go through the process of incorporating it, paying salaries, paying all of the things like a regular corporation would do. And I had the thought, you know, occurred to me, well, I'll never do this again. Once I sold the business, it was not something I was going to do. But then I went to work for other people, and I found out that I didn't like working for other people because I found myself becoming very negative, complaining, and whiny. And I thought, I don't like to live like this. I don't like to feel like this. I don't like this negativity. So I decided to stop the complaining. And if I was going to do anything about it, I guess I was going to have to find a job that I either worked independently or I was going to have to start my own business. And that's what I did. That's good. And um, before we move on, we are going towards, you said, oh, one hour is so long, and we have almost come to towards the end, as you see. And uh, we are with Rick Morgan. Uh, Rick Morgan is an award-winning writer and professional speaker, and he has inspired more than 3 million Americans during his long 36-year career. And he has appeared on numerous television and radio programs and is right now with me, with us. And Every Rick, Saturday I do three hours of radio, so I don't know why I was, ah, you are used to well, I don't know why I was complaining about an hour. It's just I just thought it was a half hour program. Not you know, yeah. no, most of these shows are a half hour. So yeah, most people are a little shocked when I say it's one hour, and they say, oh, it's usually just fifteen minutes or thirty minutes. How should we kill one hour? And I say, oh no, you see, we will just move along very, very smoothly. And how can people get hold of your book, The Keys, again, Rick? Well, it's really easy, and this and this is going to uh, surprise people. Uh, go to the the great kisser, the great kisser dot com. And normally the book would retail for fifteen dollars plus you would pay shipping. However, if you go to the great kisser dot com, you can get it 
for $10, and I'll pay the shipping, and I'll autograph it for you. Now, the book does have uh, more editions. There is a large print edition, which is $12.50. There is a special edition called The Keys for Teens, which is so just a slightly different uh, version. The book is square. It has a, a special font that kids like, and that's just $10. And then I'm currently uh, editing the uh, soundtrack for the book to come out this spring on audiobook. And I'm taking pre-orders for that. Now, that will sell for $25 retail, but they'll be able to buy that online for $17.50. It is available through Amazon.com, but why go there and pay 15 bucks for it? So you want to go to the thegreatkisser.com. Easy to remember. People don't even have to write that one down. Yes, and how come you to, call it the Great Kisser, Rick? <laughs> because of the Keep It Simple and Smart Kiss. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> and then if they want information on me as a speaker, they can go to themotivator.net. Themotivator.net. And there's a page there that is going to be changed very soon, uh, made a little stronger. But that's about my speaking as well. Yeah. Uh, Rick, you say somewhere that it takes 21 days to make or break a habit. How did yes. you find that out? That's a, a statistic that I learned back in the 70s when I started speaking. Uh, they say if you take one thing, it's called research. If you take 10 things, it's called plagiarism. If you take 100 things, it's called public speaking. So I managed <laughs> to steal my 100 or more things. But that's something that I came up with uh, years ago, and if you ask me the source of that, I, I don't remember. But it is true, uh, and I've heard several people say it since. Uh, 21 days is three weeks. If you can do something consistently for 21 days, you will make or break a habit. I've seen people quit smoking in 21 days. I've mm -hmm. seen people get in the habit of changing their, their diet in 21 days. Uh, and again, it's that thing about momentum. Once you get the momentum started, Keep it going because if you stop, you have to start over. Yeah, and it's amazing with the body. You know, the body, it takes the body to get to, to become more used to a new diet and a new uh, exercise and whatever within three weeks to two weeks just to cleanse itself of the old and then the extra week just to get used to the new. So maybe I've this is something. Yeah. I've had a number of doctors say to me, don't see any. Don't expect to see any results from this medication for about two weeks. Yeah. And it's usually two weeks for the body to begin to change, and and you know things begin to change internally, uh, and your blood pressure drops or whatever it is. But usually things begin to change at about the two week point. But you know life is is funny. Uh, I say in the book. You know, you, you got where you are in the number of years you've been alive. Take a couple of years and change yourself. Uh, a couple of years is not long at all. And, you know, while this book is a simple book, it, like I said, it's only 80 pages long. It's written very simply for the reader. It can change your life if you allow it to. But don't expect it to be a miracle worker. Don't expect it to be a magic pill. It won't be. This won't happen overnight. Although... That phrase, right now or currently, will change your life instantly. Good. You know, it's been so interesting to speak to you or uh, you. to have you tell us about uh, the positive habits and positive points that we should add to 
our lives. Is there one particular point you feel we should mention before, you know, we have two minutes left, three minutes left, and is there one particular point you would like to get into before we end this sure. program? Sure. 77% of all the things we think are negative. If you can change that just a little bit, change it down to 72% or 70%, it'll make a remarkable difference in your life. And how do you do that? You simply change your mind. If you get a negative thought, replace it with a positive thought. You can only think one thing at a time. So if you have a negative thought, replace it with something pleasant. Replace it with something powerful. Replace it with uh, anything that has a positive spin to it. And again, the more you do that, the better you'll get at it. Now, I believe that 77% of all the things I think are positive. So I've been able to reverse that. I still get some negativity going in my life. But if you can just even change that a few points, think of the remarkable difference you can make in your life. And believe me, I have enjoyed being here, and I hope you'll have me back one of these days. We would love to have you back. It was so nice of you to do this for us, and uh, particularly after a long trip, and you have been very cooperative. So thank you so much, Rick Morgan. And maybe you can mention your um, uh, email or your web page again. The Great Kisser. TheGreatKisser.com for the book and TheMotivator.net for speaking services. But even if they confuse the two, I'm sure it will get to you. <laughs> Somewhere I, you can get in touch with me. <laughs> yeah. Actually, just go to rickmorgan.com, you know, Rick, R-I-C, Morgan, M-O-R-G-A-N, and you can get a hold of me by email or whatever. Rick, R-I-C, there's no K, Morgan, That's right, and that was my mistake, you know, because well, okay. um, I put that in, but you are Rick without the K. And you can say one sentence in Swedish. Would you like to repeat that? We have a lot of listeners in Sweden. Oh, I don't know. It wasn't very good. You thought I was speaking Chinese. I just thought you said yes, because you were <laughs> so articulate. <laughs> it's okurskal ni ikdal. Okurstore till idag. Yeah, so. Thank you very, very much, Rick. Thank you, world out there, for listening to us yet again. And we shall be back next week again at the same time. Thank you, and goodbye. Goodbye, Rick. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.